Hello and welcome to Double Stint, Sports Car 365 Sports Car Racing Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Grace, and I'll be joined today by Sports Car 365 Editor-in-Chief, John DeGeese. John, how was your weekend? It was pretty good. Um, was covering the Porsche Deluxe Carrera Cup North America remotely. Um, they contested the Miami weekend, but had a pretty exciting pair of races there. And now looking forward to uh, this coming weekend where there's even more sports car racing all around the world. Absolutely. The action never stops. And we're excited to break it all down for you and bring you coverage of it here on the show and on the website. We've got a great show for you here today. We'll quickly recap this weekend's racing action, bring you the news of the week, answer some listener questions, and give you a preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. All that and more on this week's episode of Double Stint. Well, John, you mentioned it there, but the Porsche Deluxe Carrera Cup North America went from one street circuit to another, going from Long Beach to Miami, this time for rounds five and six. And Riley Dickinson swept the weekend. He's now won five of the six rounds of the season, although it wasn't exactly easy for him uh, this weekend. He had to work for it. It was a chaotic race one. He had to fend off Tom Sargent and Will Martin to take uh, the win on Saturday. And then on Sunday, much the same. Will Martin was on his heels with a great battle to the end of the race. But Dickinson came out on top with two victories heading into the next rounds of the season. We also saw plenty of other action at different circuits around the world this week. The 24-hour series was at Spoff Rocket Shops, where the number 28, the Santa Lock Jr. team of Irwin Bastard, Paul Everd, and Antoine de Quinn, they had a gap of nearly two minutes by the time they took the checkered flag. Super GT was at Fuji, where Toyota had its first win of the season in a midweek race, and the Intelligent Money British GT Championship took on Silverstone, where Dan Harper uh, and Derek Long won the Silverstone 500 all the way from 18th on the grid. For more detail on these races and more, you can always check out Dan Lloyd's weekly racing roundup on sportscar365.com. Well, John, let's move into talking about the news of the week. And let's start with this. Esteban Gutierrez and Nathaniel Berthon will join Glickenhaus for the 24 Hours of Le Mans. And we now have the full 62-car entry list for the 100th running of the race. It's the largest top-class grid we've had at Le Mans since 2011. This year, we'll have 16 hypercars. Back in 2011, there were 17 LMP1s. We had some news in the LMP2 and GTE AM ranks as well, but let's keep it on Glickenhaus for the moment. It's nice to know who's finally completing the lineup here for the 24 Hours. Yeah, these were really the only still to be determined slots, particularly in the hypercar class with the Glickenhaus. Um, we knew that Maxi Guts was unlikely to be part of that lineup um, due to our previous reporting on that. Um, as it developed over the last couple of months, it looked like he was in the frame with some budget and then all of a sudden out of the frame, according to Jim Glickenhaus. And it turns out it's true. He will not be part of the lineup, at least for Loma. Um, we have Esteban Gutierrez and Nathaniel Berthan um, completing the lineup in the number 709 Glickenhaus with Frank Mayer. Um, Esteban is a former uh, F1 driver, has lots of experience um, and, and more recent WEC experience as well. So uh, he brings a lot to the table there. And, and Nathaniel Berthon is no stranger to Lama as well. Um, lots of starts in the WEC and ELMS and, and, the, and the French Endurance Classic as well. So this is going to be another strong car, I'd have to say. Um, and we presume that there is budget being brought to this car with this lineup. So um, that says a lot for, for the Glickenhaus effort as they uh, uh, go into the 24 hours of Lama with two cars. Um, we had also, uh, as you mentioned, Jonathan, confirmation of some LMP2 lineups, um, GTE-AM as well. 
Um, I think the biggest one in GTEM was that Jeff Siegel and Andrew Andrew Harianto um, will be joining Chandler Hull in Walkenhorst Motorsports Ferrari. That's hard to say because they're usually a BMW team, but um, they're running a Ferrari 488 GTE Evo due to the BMW um, not tip. Well, I, th- I guess it is eligible, the M8, but um, it would have made it too big of an effort to, to bring that out of retirement to take part in, in, in a basically a one-off outing there. Um, Valkenhorst got the auto entry by winning the Asian Le Mans series with Hull. Um, we also have some other entry lists that were um, confirmed and a couple teams that dropped off the reserve list, including including Risi Competizioni and the Heart of Racing. Uh, we know that Heart of Racing is now confirmed in the race, having taken over the Northwest AMR entry um, after Paul Dalilana uh, retired from competition. So, um, yeah, you can check out the full list on Sports Car 365. It's uh, great to see how uh, it's developing. And we're just over 30 days away from the 100th anniversary race. It's getting very close and, and pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, I feel like we've been talking about this specific running of Le Mans for a long time now. And it's it's exciting to see that it's basically right around the corner. The entry list is out. We know who's going to be there. And it's, the grid is taken shape. It's just a matter of getting there. And, you know, we've gone through Spa. We saw who was fastest there, who wasn't, uh, who needs to improve. And, and you know, I think it's, it's even more exciting now that, you know, Dan and I mentioned it on, on the last show, but the gap does seem to be closing down to Toyota. So this may be more of a competitive Lama than, than many people may think going in, having watched the WEC and in Toyota dominate not only Lama, but the World Endurance Championship the last couple of seasons. I, I think we're on for a good show. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of storylines heading into the race and, and can't wait to get there in just a, just a few weeks now. Well, moving over to the WeatherTech Championship, IMSA will not utilize LMP3 machinery in the WeatherTech Championship from 2024 onwards. However, it will be eligible in the VP Racing Sports Car Challenge until the end of 2026. John, you had the chance to to speak with some of the teams, Sean Creech and JR3 and Riley, about this, and they said they weren't really surprised by IMSA's decision to drop the class from the WeatherTech Championship. Still an opportunity for, for them to compete, obviously, and uh, P2 or GT3 machinery, but there's a lot of teams that have made a name for themselves in LMP3 spec machinery since 2021. Yeah, just in a, in a short period of time, you know, thinking about that this class only came online in the WeatherTech Championship in 2021, it actually seems like it's been around for longer in, in the top series, but um, obviously um, it was brought online to help fill the grid uh, during some pandemic era challenges um, in some of the classes. And and now we're seeing the grid sort of fill back up in other classes, namely the the, G, the new GTP category where we have more and more entries coming for especially for next year. So um, I, I think this is a wise move by IMSA. They, they had communicated late last year that basically they were going to continue either with LMP2 or LMP3 and that a decision will be made um, sometime early this year. And when LMP2 was confirmed through the end of the 2025 season, it, it made a lot of sense that LMP3 would be dropped from the WeatherTech Championship. And that was the news we got last week. So no surprises at all. Um, I, I would have to think it's a bit of a disappointment for some of those P3 teams that have been running in the series for a while, like Sean Greach, like JR3 Racing, um, Riley a, a, as well, um, and, and some others. But this does give them an opportunity to sort of step up into LMP2 um, or try their hand in, in GT racing as well. So um, I don't think it really closes any doors. I think this is going to make things a lot 
cleaner uh, of a, of a, of a races. We've, we've seen this, the reaction on social media about this. And um, it seems that a lot of fans were not, maybe not in favor of LMP3. And um, I hold my own personal opinions on it, but I don't like to um, sh- mix those in editorially often. But um, LMP3 was good for what we needed in the WeatherTech Championship um, through those years. And, and I think this is the perfect time to sort of let it go and have it focus, have the platform focused on the v, the new VP Racing Sports Car Challenge, which has really continued to grow um, after t- uh, two events so far this season. Yeah, John, and, and you mentioned it in the in the article, which you can read the full the full article and some of the reactions from the teams in another article on the website. But um, it, it is exciting to see the VP Racing Sports Car Challenge grid grow and, and the interest there because the platform is is definitely still alive and well and, and working very well in that context. You know, it, it's an interesting situation because it's not often you see uh, in the sport a situation where you're excited by a platform leaving, not because the platform's leaving, but maybe the the driving force behind it. In this case, as you said, GTP and and the uh, the introduction of the new LMH and LMDH cars in IMSA so far just LMDH, um, but it, it's a great time of growth. It's a really exciting time of growth in the sport. And and yes, we we've had to make some adjustments. IMSA's had to make some adjustments to to fit the grids. But the reality is, uh, they they've come up with a really good platform and it's working. And everybody's really interested in it. And it doesn't seem like it's going to stop growing anytime soon. The Bathurst 12-hour race has adopted a new date in February for 2024. The Intercontinental GT Challenge season will start February 16th and 18th at Mount Panorama Circuit. Uh, To give a little bit more breathing room to the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, we saw it this year was right up back-to-back against the Florida Endurance Classic, which took place just a week prior this year. Uh, Daytona, which has been confirmed already for the final week of January. Now the teams and drivers have a little bit more time, John, to not only get down to, to Australia if they're contesting both, but also transport cars and material and equipment. Uh, this could open a lot of options for for not only local teams to have time to prepare, but international teams to come in and compete as well. And, and it comes as a huge relief for, I think, a lot of media members, too, that do the trip, <laughs> do, the, do the double, because um, having done it this year with the Roar directly before the 24 and then and then straight into Bathurst that was a bit a bit of a stretch there um so uh, personally I'm happy about it and I'm sure um John Hindoff, Shay Adam and and some of the Radio Loma folks are as well as well as other media members that may be making the trip next year um nonetheless um this was a story that we had sort of broke um on Sports Car 365 back in February when I had a discussion with the Bathurst 12 hour event director Shane Rudsis um he indicated that the date was not not locked in stone for 2024, and they were looking to potentially try to get some American teams and and potential manufacturer support over for the 12 hour in 24, and they would look at maybe moving it back a few weeks, and that's exactly what we got for next year. So um, exciting times and exciting prospects of what could come. It's still very early days to see if we're going to get um, some additional American uh, flavored entries at Mount Panorama, but. Um, you know, certainly this does open up that opportunity for a car from Daytona to be air freighted to to Australia. I think that two week window gives it a just enough time to make it happen. Um, obviously, that's a very expensive venture and we'll have to see if any team is up and willing to do it. But even even more so, you know, having a team that does Daytona and Bathurst, maybe with two sets of equipment, makes it feasible as well. Um, we, we saw it this year with Akota's ASP. Um, they d- 
did both races with two sets of equipment, ended up winning the the, the race outright with Sun Energy One. Um, but you know, I think this encourages WeatherTech Championship teams, maybe even some Michelin Pilot Challenge teams with GT4 cars. Um, to consider this race even more. So um, as Bathurst continues to sort of rebound from from the COVID era uh, years of the cancellation and then going pro-am only for for one year in 2022 and then having only a 26-car grid this year, um, I think this was definitely a wise move for for all involved. Absolutely. And I agree with what you said. I think it's wise on a lot of fronts. A, it allows more team uh, time for, for teams to prepare and ship cars. And, you know, I think part of the beauty of, of the GT3 platform is you can race the cars all over the world. You can take the same car from Daytona, bring it over to Australia and race it in Bathurst. Obviously, we saw plenty of drivers make the transition over. Jules Gunan obviously winning in Daytona in class and then going on to, to win the Bathurst 12-hour this year was uh, particularly exciting, but plenty of other drivers uh, in that lineup and other lineups did much the same thing. So uh, I think this, as you said, it opens a lot of doors for a lot of different teams, a lot of drivers. Uh, it should be a really, really good thing. And the other thing, too, is it'll help the grid size. More people will be able to come to the race, which is, is always a great thing. The Bathurst 12-hour is an amazing event. It's a great way to start the IGTC season. Uh, and the more, the merrier on the mountain. You know, 26 cars did feel a little light this year, but we know that uh, SRO and IGTC is is doing a lot of work to, to try to build the grid size. And I think this is a huge step in the right direction towards doing that for next year. As always, you can read more about the headlines we've covered on today's show and more over on sportscar365.com. Well, John, let's go in to answer some listener questions. And we had one come in from Dr. Joey Bananas on Twitter with the hashtag AskDoubleStint. Uh, he asks, whatever happened to the Ave Riley LMP3? Was it uncompetitive, couldn't find buyers, or another casualty of Ligier's dominance in LMP3? John, do you have an update on this one? Yeah, well, actually, I believe it was never fully homologated, believe it or not. Um, that was kind of the main reason why it sort of went away after a few seasons. Um, it was given special dispensation to race in uh, IMSA Prototype Challenge, I think for two years. And um, it just sort of faded away at the end of one year. I think it was end of 20 or 21. And um, and we never really saw it again. There was only one chassis um, that was actually raced. I don't know if there was other cars that were built, but um, yeah, for whatever reason, there, there was never enough interest or financial backing to sort of make this into a serious LMP3 uh, program for for Ave Riley. Um, um, Tony Ave had, had switched to Liget's, um racing in in IMSA in IPC, and, and now he's doing a lot of uh, support with the Toyota um, uh, Supra GT4 program, both in Michelin Pilot Challenge and Pirelli GT4 America. So the team and, and Tony are is still around; they're just not racing the car that has their name on it. We also had a question from Sam L. It's a two-parter, so we'll go with the first one first here. Question one, did you think the LMP3 hate was justified or did it go too far? It sounds like many people regarded LMP3 as a circus, especially since NBC described LMP3 more like a moving obstacle uh, than its own equal class. Aside from the 38 hitting the Penske under yellow and 2022 Watkins Glen with P3 cars causing five full course yellows in the first two hours and in many races they weren't a problem well let's let's talk about this one first before we move on to the second question 
I think it depends. I mean, you look at the nature of the class. It's kind of the junior prototype class. And that's to take nothing away from it. It's just what it is. It's what it was designed to do. Uh, And so you get a lot of drivers that are maybe driving a prototype for the first time. They may have limited GT3 experience. Uh, It's a a combination of a lot of young up and coming drivers that are maybe figuring out how to drive something with higher downforce for the first time or gentlemen drivers who are are doing much the same, who don't have a lot of prototype experience. And I think because of that, you are prone to to getting some some accidents. Uh, You know, the reality is LMP3 cars did tend to get in more crashes than than cars from other classes. You know, it's tough, too, because they are the slowest prototypes on track. So other prototypes are, are avoiding them. You know, the P2s and whatever top class at the time, whether it was DPI or GTP. Um, but I think that the main thing is just the experience level of the drivers in the car. There were some fantastic drivers in, in LMP3. You look at Colin Brown and his career trajectory. He turned out all right and he's, he's doing just fine. Um, but I, I think that the reality is there there just tends to be more unexperienced drivers in, in the seats. And sometimes that can lead to issues. Yeah, I don't think I have much else to add there, Jonathan. You did a really good job explaining it. Um, and, and I sort of share the, that same kind of opinion. Um, LMP3, like I said, was good for its time. I think that time has passed. Um, and, and whether it was justified or not to to for people's comments about whether the class was more of a moving obstacle or, or using other words, um, I, I think it really varied. There were some races where they stayed pretty clean. There were other races they were they, they were a nuisance. So um, hard to sort of disagree or argue the the, the point beyond that. Um, usually, sometimes it only takes a few people to sort of cause a big issue, and and that's really what the what happened. I think to the class in some cases where you had one unfortunate driver at, at Sebring that ran into a bunch of cars that just so happened to be driving an LMP3 car and it sort of painted a bad picture for the class as a whole. So, um, and that shouldn't really be the case. That should be sort of pointed, pointed more on that driver. So, um, nonetheless, I, 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 I think that, you know, love it or hate it, they were there and, um, and we have to sort of move on and 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 see what what happens without LMP3 in the WeatherTech Championship. If we still end up with the same number of yellows and the same number of incidents, then then we'll know it wasn't all about the LMP3 cars that were causing all this quote unquote mess around the track. Absolutely, and with the class going away, you know all those drivers are likely to go somewhere, and a lot of them, I'm sure, would love to stay in WeatherTech competition. So. You know, that that could be a factor as well. I think you made a really good point, John, too, saying, you know, the class was there to fulfill a goal and it certainly did. Uh, And again, we'll continue to see it in the VP Racing Sports Car Challenge. And I think for now, it's kind of the perfect place for it, because if you're if you have a class that's a junior prototype class that's meant to help develop drivers and their talent and their comfort level in higher downforce prototypes, uh, this is the perfect place to do it. That's kind of the whole goal of the series is to give, you know, younger drivers a, a testing bed to, to cut their teeth and prove themselves in IMSA sanctioned competition and to give gentlemen drivers an avenue to go out and, and compete competitively again under under the IMSA banner. So I think it's it's uh, it's right where it needs to be right now. Uh, and the WeatherTech Championship is in a great place where it's growing. And so I think, unfortunately, you know, it, it, although some people may be sad to see it go, I, I think it's it's uh, it was a good decision. And, you know, this is something, of course, that IMSA would have considered very carefully and talked to stakeholders about numerous times. And, and uh, I, I think it's it's continuing on right where it needs to be. 
The second part of this question was how will how will P3s leaving impact grid sizes? It seems like LMP3 cars leaving will be replaced by LMP2 teams, so could that impact be limited? Based on the fact that Laguna has 38 cars, it seems like there are enough cars for four classes as it is. I, I think grid size is not really going to be much of an issue, to, to be honest, going forward. I think we're going to see more GTP cars. We're going to see, obviously, more LMP2 cars. Uh, having enough GT cars on the grid never seems to be a problem in, in IMSA. So I think the, the grid will fill itself up naturally. Um, as we mentioned in the, in the previous question, you know, the drivers from the P3 cars are going to want to find other seats. I, I think they'll have no problem doing that in other classes. Yeah, I'd agree for sure. As always, thank you very much for your questions. We always appreciate you writing them in, and we love answering them on the show. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on Double Stint, be sure to post it in the comment section below this episode, or take to Twitter and post your question there using the hashtag AskDoubleStint. Or you can message us on Instagram, and we'll put our heads together to answer your question in an upcoming episode. Well, John, let's give everyone a quick preview of what's coming up in the world of sports car racing. The big one on the docket is, of course, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship taking on Laguna Seca. 38 entries. Sam L. mentioned it in his question. We do have the entry list, and you can read the full story on the website. Plenty of storylines here, right? Nine GTP cars, eight LMP2 cars, five GTD pros, and 16 GTDs. Uh, the big one, though, we're going to see JDC Miller Motorsport uh, race their customer Porsche 963 for the first time. We've seen little snippets and clips of it being delivered in the livery and on social media. We know the drivers now. Uh, it's going to be very, very exciting to see the first customer top class prototype in IMSA under the new format up in Monterey. Certainly, there's a lot of excitement, I think, um, around the JDC Miller entry for sure, Jonathan, um, with Tiemann van der Helm and uh, Mike Rockefeller as drivers for that uh, banana boat yellow liveried um, Porsche 963. Um, great to see sort of the, the return of that uh, that color back to top class prototype racing for the Minnesota-based team. Um, always a sort of a fan favorite back when they were racing LMP2 in the first, I think, I think the first couple of years with the Cadillac DPI. Um, we'll see what they, they, they can do. Um, they haven't been able to test before, um, coming to Laguna Seca other than the, the rollout of the car that had, that had, uh, uh Matt Campbell at the wheel at Wysock. So, and I think they did some, some laps around their, uh, their shop in Minnesota. So, um, that's not through the parking lot. So that's not going to really help them dial in the car with the setup, but, um, nonetheless, um, it's going to be cool to see that car come online as a ninth full season GTP entry. We also have Andretti Autosport debuting their Aston Martin Vantage GT3 for Gabby Chavez and Jared Andretti um, in GTD. This is going to be a partial season entry. Um, I think these guys sort of saw LMP3 going away and acted proactively in, in, in sort of securing a GT3 car. Um, they're going to put their foot in the water this year with a couple races and maybe sort of mount a potential full season program next year with with the, with the effort um, that's going to be interesting to see as well we have balance of performance changes for all four manufacturers in gtp some minor changes to gt3 cars including the bmw um, getting some extra weight and extra power to counter that um, you can check all that out on sports car 365 but um, yeah first two hour 40 minute race of the season um, there's going to be high tire degradation at laguna because the track still hasn't been resurfaced um, they were supposed to do it during the winter but 
ran into some delays with a lot of rain in the area. So, um, yeah, it, it should be a pretty good event this weekend. Absolutely. Obviously, a beautiful location in, in uh, California and Northern California. Uh, I think there is uh, a new pedestrian footbridge, though, I think, because they, they did do some renovations to the track. We know the resurfacing is coming, but I think there's a, at least a new pedestrian footbridge. We know that they're trying to kind of revamp some of the uh, facilities up there in in uh, around the track. So either way, very excited for a, for a re- what should be a really fun event. Um, there, there are plenty of storylines, like you said. I think one of the interesting ones, again, to, to return to the GTP classes, uh, every car aside from the BMW has won a race so far in the top class. And we've talked in the past about how close it's been and how awesome it's it's been to see. You know, even though IMSA is making little BOP tweaks uh, for each track, it's it's definitely working. The cars were just as close at Long Beach as they were at Sebring, uh, and it's it's been really really great to watch the racing and the the level of the racing has been unbelievably exciting. Uh, I know we're all on the edge of our seat just watching it in the media center, so I can't imagine uh, the excitement, you know, watching Trackside or at home. So I, I'm really, really interested going in. Any predictions, John, ahead of the weekend? Oh, it's too tough to say. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, it would be cool to see BMW get get a win so we could have four four different manufacturers in the first four races. I think that would be a, a, a storybook storyline to, to sort of help tell but um who knows um the the bop changes have been very minor very very specific tweaks um between the weight power and and energy allowance so um it's really too early to say what how these cars will react on this track that's just significantly different than the first three tracks we've seen on the weather tech championship calendar that's true you know in the same way that Cadillac was known to kind of dominate Long Beach in the past. Acura has been known for their success at Laguna. Obviously, Long Beach didn't exactly go Cadillac's way, so who's to say? Uh, We'll see if Acura can continue the momentum uh, that they built in previous seasons with the new platform, but either way, it's been close, and I'm sure uh, I can feel confident in saying we're going to get some some really good racing action in the top class. LMP2 never disappoints, and the GT racing has been fantastic this season as well, so a lot to look forward to uh, in Laguna Seca. We'll be covering the whole weekend up there. Uh, You can read the stories online, and of course, we'll we'll break everything down for you on next week's episode as well, but we're also going to have Fanatec GT World Challenge Europe power powered by AWS Sprint Cup at Brands Hatch, Fanatec GT World Challenge Asia, powered by AWS at Buriam, and Fanatec GT World Challenge Australia, powered by AWS at Phillip Island. Of course, we'll have everything to break down for you on next week's episode, but that's it for us on the podcast. And if you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice as it really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For John DeGeese, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here next week for another edition of Double Stint.